Biodynamics to me is like another tool that we have in the toolbox. Understanding the soil, how does it work, understanding reed mineralization, crop rotation, understanding animals, how they fit into the system. You've got to have that all as a sound management plan before. And that's really part of an organic system. Biodynamics brings in another part to the picture that really helps you see the whole picture. Welcome to this podcast series, Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. The series was commissioned by Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited and produced by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited is a not-for-profit company located in Bellingen, New South Wales. It has been making and supplying biodynamic preparations as well as supporting biodynamic growing in Australia for over 30 years. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited values biodynamics as a practical and holistic technique that is able to regenerate soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work with Mother Nature. The podcast series was produced on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Gayabal, Yugara and Waka Waka First Nations peoples of the surrounding region. We pay respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nation Australians in this country and celebrate the unique contributions their cultures make to this place. And in the context of this podcast series, particularly those contributions involving Indigenous respect for and stewardship of the nature of Australia, with its attendant spiritual and practical care for country, the sovereignty of which was never ceded. Hello. My name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia podcast series. My guest on this episode of the series, Adam Collins, was born and raised in Kenya and completed a Bachelor of Science degree in Agriculture in the United Kingdom. However, he says that after five years of learning how to kill everything, he felt disillusioned as he believed that farming should be about growing life, not killing it. In 1985, Adam's family moved to Australia and bought a 100-acre block in far north Queensland near Ravenshoe, named Kissima Farm, the place of peaceful water. After doing some soul-searching and travelling, Adam partnered with his father on the farm in 1999 and began his systematic journey into biodynamic practice from that point on. A written account of Adam's story of biodynamic growing development is contained in an associated profile booklet of all the guests interviewed for this podcast series. So, a very warm welcome, Adam. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Let's start the conversation uh, about your biodynamic growing journey and the mixed farming work you carry out there on your property up in uh, far north Queensland through you giving a fuller self-introduction. So can you give us an overview of your property and the work you do on it? Uh, just set the scene by describing its main characteristics and your work there. So we're situated up on the Aston Tablelands, which sort of encompasses four actual tablelands, and we're on the southern end of that, which is known as the Evelyn or the Evelyn Tablelands. And the farm that we're on is 100 acres, it's uh, got um, predominantly basalt, but it's been an area that's had a lot of um, water flowing through it over the years. 
And so a lot of it's got a lot of clay in there as well that's been deposited. So the, the old the basalt was two, two flows. One was 7 million years ago and one was uh, 3 million years ago, so relatively young geologically. And we have sloping down to a drainage creek in, in the middle, roughly in the middle of the property. Um, it's <clears throat> it would be uh, classified as dry sclerophyll. We are not far from rainforest, so we're kind of on the cusp. It's like we've got a bit of everything, which originally was quite a challenge, but I actually see that as you know, having fantastic diversity. And so that's given us the opportunity to grow a multitude of different crops over the years that are, you know, from peanuts to garlic to ancient grains, um, potatoes, apples, bananas, you know, just about anything. In fact, I think the only thing that we came to the conclusion that we can't grow here are cherries, you know, traditional European cherries. We have Brazilian cherries, uh, we have uh, acerola cherries. So, yeah, it's a, it really is a fantastic place to be farming. Let's come on to question two now, to the, the nub, to the heart of this discussion about what is biodynamics. In your personal view, in 2023, how would you describe biodynamics? What are some of the basic principles and benefits of biodynamic methods as they apply in your approach? to your own mixed farming work biodynamics to me is like another tool that we have in the toolbox i wouldn't say that you could just say i'm just a biodynamic farmer because really you're you have to encompass good organic management which is understanding the soil how does it work understanding remineralization crop rotation understanding animals how they fit into the system You've got to have that all as a sound management plan before. And that's really part of an organic system. Biodynamics brings in another part to the picture that really helps you see the whole picture. So it's really, it's the energy that surrounds all of us. It's how we learn to be able to work with all that. You know, the stuff, you know, even outside of our own small sphere of being on planet earth but all the other planets constellations it's it's encompassing everything it's learning you imagine if you go to see a play and all you can see is you can see where you're sitting in your seat you can see only one facet of the actual of the play you imagine if you could then fly up above and look down and see all the intricate workings of creating that play you know, all behind the scenes. That's what kind of biodynamics does. It helps you to see the whole picture. And for me, that's really important right now in 2023 that we start to understand the intricate workings of, of all the parts and how we can actually enhance them and make them work even better. I think that's so important because uh, that last comment about the larger bigger picture view and i want to come back onto that at various points in this interview because i think one of one of the main distinguishing points for me as a lay person having come into you know understanding something about the biodynamic field through research its place in the overall in my sense anyway the regenerative agriculture space um 
you know, one of its distinguishing features is that very much that strong, spiritual, cosmic, holistic approach that seems to differentiate it. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you'll say more about that because um, going all the way back to Rudolf Steiner's work in the 20s, you know, uh, as he introduced that, it has such resonance with, as you just implied, with, you know, contemporary um, empirical science, um, ecology, environmental science, uh, the principles of holism, uh, the interconnectedness of everything. Uh, is so crucial mm -hmm. to understanding how we can actually progress to uh, a more a genuine and more sustainable life on this planet as we go forward, the interconnection of environmental, social, and economic. And I think, from my reading of it, Steiner seems to have been well ahead of his time here in, in terms of, of developing that vision it, back 100 years ago. But in terms of its modern interpretation, so vital that we get you know that right, because uh, we still aren't. So let's just... Um, stay with this in in a sense by going to the next question to say well okay so you've just outlined some of the basic principles there the bigger picture principles particularly how do you think some of those principles apply in your biodynamic uh, practice um you know in terms of how that contrasts to conventional or industrial growing methods well you said the word holism so when i talk of holism in this i actually spell it with a w not missing a W because it's not a hole that we fall into. It is the whole picture. So when you're the difference, one of the big differences that I have to get across to people who are starting into biodynamics is that they used to working just in the physical. And we're sort of going not only the physical, but we're delving into the energetic world as well, which a lot of people struggle with because they can't see it. They can't touch it. They can't taste it or feel it. And this is the area that where biodynamics differs in my book the most from uh, any other form of agriculture in that we are starting to work in a, in a realm that is, in science world, is still anathema. And so from our point of view, is it's us learning. The easiest way for me is to explain with the Preparation 500, which... Um, if anyone's heard of biodynamics, they've heard of that one, which is the bearing of the cow horns, the manure over the winter time. If you imagine that you've got a piece of land, the thing that you want it to happen is you want to be able to encourage the microorganisms to flourish in that piece of ground. Because we now know in the science world, we know that the microorganisms are the most critical factor in everything, including us. In fact, they said that we are more uh, microorganisms than we are human. So if you imagine you've got a field, a paddock, and you want to encourage them to come in. So when we make the 500 and we do the stirring, it's like you're putting out an energetic pattern of a five-star resort, which would encourage them to come in. So that's a really easy way to think about it. When you're putting out the 500, you're, you're putting out an energetic pattern that is like equivalent to a five-star resort for microbes. So now you're starting to go, okay, well, so I can't see it, I can't feel it, can't taste it, whatever. But you start to see the results happening because it works and you're starting to work on a different level. The more that you surround yourself with these energetic patterns which are beneficial, it actually helps you to change as well. It starts to help you unlock your true potential on an emotional, physical, and spiritual level. 
Can you tell us a bit more about these fundamental preparations, so important to biodynamic work? Well, to really understand the preparations, you've got to look at them from the physical point of view and the energetic point of view. So the physical point of view of when these preparations are made, and they're made in a quite strange way, which is where I think some of what people find a little bit odd about biodynamics. And I think you've just got to go beyond that and look at, we're trying to create balance. And so each of these preparations is made in a specific way. And I, w- I won't go into each one because we don't have the time, but if we can get an understanding, these preparations are, on a physical level, they are the most amazing amount of different forms of biology. So when you use these, you're using them as an inoculant. You're basically putting in a small amount that we can then grow into a large amount. And we do that through the stirring process that we do. But that also works on an energetic level too. It's not just a physical level. And the energetic level is it connects us. They are conduits. They connect us back into everything. They connect us to the physical earth that we're on. They connect us to uh, the planets in our solar system and the sun and the moon, plus the other planets. They connect us to the constellation, which are way outside of our solar system. They connect us into the energies that are coming from those planets all the time and how we can utilize those energies in order to enhance what we're doing from the point of view of our growing, for building soil, growing food, our health, our well-being of everything on the farm and in our community. These have ways of reconnecting us. It's like if you imagine the old wireless set, you had a large knob and a small knob in order to tune in. The large knob gave you pretty good, you got to it, but it was really crackling, really hard to understand. And then you bring the preparations in, which are the fine-tuning knob, and it fine-tunes it so that you actually get to hear the radio station. It's like you get to hear the voice of nature. You get to hear and feel on another level. When you start allowing these preparations into your life to help you become retuned back in, it retunes your soil, it retunes your plants and your animals and you back into the whole with a W. And, you know, for me, that's, I don't, you don't need to understand how they're made. You just need to understand that these have an amazing capacity to create change. And you be that change. I came across a, a really interesting academic paper, but it's social science research, um, admittedly based in the UK, but it, I, I'll include that in the, in the um, show notes because uh, this social scientist researcher, you know, worked on a biodynamic farm there in Wales for a, a, over a year or so, observed the practices, took part in it, you know, participant observation research, and really spent a lot of time uh, in this paper talking about the, those aspects of um, preparation, uh, enhancing the environmental bottom line of that economic, social, and environmental holistic uh, principle, that, mo- that more joined-up approach to looking at stuff like human health. I mean, you're just mentioning there the, the bacteria or alluding to the bacteria and biology in the soil, which is also in our guts, you know, all that new work on gut health, that if you have got a healthy microbiome inside yourself, you're likely to be more physically and mentally healthy than if you haven't, and that is directly connected to what you eat. Uh, the quality and the nutritional value of what you eat. So both inside and outside the human body, I mean, these are other examples of how everything connects up to everything else. You know, thinking about from the point of view of the environment, the environment is what we live in. 
we're, you know, we're all living on planet Earth. Planet Earth is our home. When someone says they're an indigenous person to a certain country, I said, no, we're actually all indigenous people to Mother Earth. This is our home. This is the only one we know. And it's up to us to look after it. It's our job as custodians to make sure that we not only look after it, but we enhance it and regenerate it. So generations to come have actually somewhere good to live. So it's not only just about looking after the land, it's about us looking after ourselves and raising our consciousness so that we can become aware of ways that we can do this. How can we work in with nature? How can we working with everything that is in our picture. And that is really important. That's where, to me, it's about bringing everything together. We are connected to everything. When people stand and are doing something that they feel that doesn't, oh, it doesn't bother me, I say, well, it does actually. Everything should bother you because we're all part of this ecosystem. Biodynamics has a way of being able to help us come to realize that on a grand scale it's where we can really start to see how interconnected we are when you start to work i mean working with the constellations some of these planets are so far away and yet we're influenced by the energies that are coming from them and this has been proven scientifically now when you start to realize that that is influenced us then you start to realize well if that's the case i am having an influence on my garden. I'm having an influence on the people I meet. So it is important that we all take a role in this game. It's not just, oh, well, we've got a few farmers doing a great job and we can sit back and do nothing. Every single body on this planet needs to be consciously aware that it's up to all of us to work together. For me, it's like when you look at an orchestra, if you want to make beautiful music you've got to have every player in the orchestra playing in tune and together so our job is to make sure as a biodynamic farmer our job is not the one we don't grow anything we don't actually do that we put it in the soil and we hopefully that it will grow all we're doing is we're just the conductor and we can create from there how we can make things happen but we have to be present and we have to be part of, not apart from. Having a closer focus, just being more aware, acutely aware of the cycles of nature, all those interacting forces you said. I mean, to, to, to understand that, you have to pay attention to it. So it seems to me that's one of the things in very simple terms that we've lost. You know, we stopped paying attention to the natural world because of what that arrogance that we thought we were above it. Um, you know, uh, superior to it, whatever. And, and I mean, that that process might go back a long way, but it certainly had a massive acceleration in the last couple of hundred years, the scientific revolution, you know. So all that reductionism and all that stuff. But trying to bring back that sort of f closer understanding of focus, appreciation, observation, call it what you will, of the, of the natural world, in order to be to get into more of a harmonious relationship with it. And And you touched upon the indigenous side, there and we're all indigenous but also again the parallels with um existing indigenous cultures around the world be they in australia north america europe they're so clear aren't they this is what a number of these indigenous cultures have done in terms of working with nature their care for country the care for country philosophy of you know why uh when you look at indigenous people why they are so connected it's because they care 
they still care about their belonging to that piece of land. That's where, if you truly go and have a look at Indigenous people, they have an understanding that they don't own, they belong to, and therefore they are part of, they are very connected. If you, just going back to that bit where we have, you know, humans, you know, especially uh, people who are very caught up in the Western chemical world, um, have this belief where we've become so disconnected from nature, have this belief that we are, we are the superior ones, we are top of the, we are king of the castle. Well, we are, we are right at the top. You know why? It's because we are dependent on every single thing below us and everything below us is not dependent on us at all. When you take that in, put that into proportion, you start to realise, my God, we have to change our attitude. We have to start looking at going, everything on this planet is actually dependent on us playing our part to be the custodians, to be the caretakers, not to be the arrogant one who knows it all, but to be humble and understanding that we are part of all of this and we are totally dependent on it. And without spending time and going into it, I'm a great fan of the history of the ideas, but there are plenty of examples that have been well-researched and written up of various civilizations back in time that didn't pay attention to those principles mm -hmm. and, and paid the ultimate price of the collapse of their civilization. Coming back mm -hmm. to your cycle, Adam, um, let's go back in time now and tell us more about how you became involved with biodynamic farming. I, I always think it's interesting to hear something of the personal human interest story behind the innovative people, you know, the person who is helping to progress new ways of doing things. In your case, biodynamic and regenerative forms of agriculture. So, you know, what were the early learnings, influential people you encountered along the way? How did you develop, you know, your present, clear, clearly present drive, passion and way of responding to challenges, that sort of thing? So looking back, how did you get involved? What's your story here, Adam? I, I studied for a, a degree in pure agriculture in the UK, came out very disillusioned because it was full-on chemical farming. It was about killing everything. I then spent quite a few years travelling around the world looking at uh, ways that you could, you know, indigenous ways of agriculture, but also looking at ways of developing my own self. And it was some time before I came home. And then I went into partnership um, in the mid-90s with my father on the farm here. And when he, he posed that to me, he said, you know, he was, he was, he started the tea industry up here on the Tablelands back in 85. And he was a chemical farmer. That's what he knew. And I said to him, well, if I'm going to be doing the work on the farm, I'm not using chemicals. Well, he said, well, you better look into ways you can do it otherwise. And a friend of mine who is a biodynamic farmer suggested I contacted the National Association, BAA, Biodynamic Agriculture Australia. And I spoke to a lady there called Cheryl Kemp. And uh, she was very excited at the time and said, you've got to come. You've got to come. We're going to India in a week. And I was like, wow, okay. My father said, well, you better go. So within a week, I managed to get a visa and uh, I was on a plane. And I spent a month traveling around South India with Peter Proctor, who became a great mentor for me. 
and it was studying tropical biodynamics. There was a belief that you couldn't really do biodynamics in the tropics. You couldn't make the preparations in the tropics. Had to be cold, had to be this, had to be that. Anyway, Peter showed me around India. He showed me the possibilities. And I felt that I'd come home. I felt I'd found what I was looking for. And so when I came back here with that excitement, before I knew it, suddenly I was the chair of um, our local group, which was just about collapsed. And between two of us, we got it going again. We got excited. And so, yeah, that next thing I was going down to do a prep-making course with Peter Proctor. And, um, well, I sort of just started the journey from there. And it's just the reason I, I, it meant something to me was because I could see where I'd been and where I was going. I could see the, the possibilities of what we could do with this. But it also resonated with me on a feeling basis in that I knew somewhere that this would help me to um, become more of who I am. It helped me to, you know, it got me going into wanting to look at myself and to develop myself, become um, much more than I was before. So, you know, Peter Proctor really was the one. But then I was incredibly lucky that I met and I worked with Hugh Lovell and John Priestley. Uh, these uh, Hugh Lovell's known on a world stage, John Priestley not, but in Australia, John Priestley is, uh, a, was a very respected biodynamic elder. These are the people who really helped me to, and again, it was I was just always amazed at how all this lined up. I, I do believe that if you're on track with the purpose of what you are here to do, the universe does back you and synchronicity takes place. So I was able to get right into it and to the point where now it, I just, it's become so much of my life. And that's why I enjoy teaching it. I enjoy sharing with people the journey that I've had through it and how the changes, the massive changes I've seen on our farm and in myself, even with my father. My father was, he went along with it. But when he saw our soil change and he saw the wildlife the change in the wildlife and the insects on the farm, he started to realise there was a lot more going on here than he could understand, which was great. I think that's a marvellously inspiring story all round. I mean, not only did you find your niche, you know, the ducks lined up in a row, as you say, the stars aligned, you know, it, it, it was in alignment with what you were searching for. You met these very influential movers and shakers within the dynamic, um, biodynamic agricultural field. A whole series of things came together there. Very interesting to hear that uh, professional journey, that really sort of almost, uh, you know, rocket level um, boost to your early journey. And I know that you've become almost, you talk there about elders, you've become an elder in a sense, in a, in a sort of symbolic sense yourself in the field. You educate and train others in biodynamic methods. And perhaps we might touch upon that at a later stage. But let's, let's, as we move through this very thought-provoking interview, Adam, let's now um, come back to the here and now in late 2023, and let's hear some more about some of those specific biodynamic techniques you're using today on Kissimmee Farm up there on the Evelyn Tablelands of far north Queensland. You started talking about this. So, But question five is, can you tell us some more about the biodynamic principles, methods, and approaches you're using on your property 
and the beneficial impacts they are having on the landscape, the soil, the flora, the fauna, and in fact, on you. Um, because I know there's also a, a very strong community focus to the work that you do and you interact with your neighbours and other sort of supporters there. So it's totally in line with that holistic interconnection within biodynamics, the environmental, the social, the economic. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, here, here on the farm, uh, the process that we've been through was uh, through, through a, friend of, a friend of mine who realised up here in the tropics where they were doing biodynamics 30-odd years ago, they ran into the issue that they weren't really getting it to work. And he came to realise it was because we needed to remineralize our soils. So in the tropics here, we get considerable amount of rain in the wet season. Uh, we get a massive amount of leaching taking place. And so a lot of the minerals have either been washed out or washed down through the profile. And this is what Hugh, when he came to the farm here, he alluded to this fact that uh, we needed to work both with the calcium polarity and the silica polarity, With this is the soil and the atmosphere. But we also needed to have something to balance us against, which is the minerals in the soil. So the first program we did was to start remineralizing our soil and trying to get our balances right there, which we've done very successfully. And that has resulted us in creating a quite a dramatic change, not only in the color of our soil, but also, also in its texture. These clay soils, we've got a lot of clay soils, are very touchy soils, and but we've managed to get them to work. And they actually are the most productive soils around. So we've managed to get them actually playing the game. Now, with the preparations, what we've done is being able to encourage the microorganisms to come in to do the job of actually creating soil structure. But also, we had to be responsible for providing them not only with minerals, which is the building blocks they use, but also food, organic matter, so therefore producing plenty of organic matter through cropping from live plants as well as from the mulch, and also creating the right atmosphere. And this is where I think this differs to a lot of things, that we actually work with the atmosphere as well as the soil. We work with the whole picture. And this is where, working with the atmosphere, we improve the ability of the plant to photosynthesize and therefore produce more root exudates, feeding more microbes. So it's a, looking at the whole picture. And the, the trouble is, is most people think the whole picture is just looking at the soil. The whole picture is looking at the soil, looking at the atmosphere above the soil, all the things that are on top of the soil, including ourselves, and how does it all interact. So that's really where we've come from, is by looking at everything, and even to the animals that you have, the idea of having all the right number of animals. They all bring in different energetic patterns, different manures, different biology. It's bringing diversity in. Most farms now farm one thing whether it be potatoes or sugarcane, they don't really have diversity at all. They're starting to wake up to the fact that the diversity is the key that we need to have to unlock the potential of our soil. You know, the thing is, is that where in nature, if you go out to nature, where do you see just one thing growing? Let's come now to another aspect of your fantastic work up there, because you have been on 
the landscape, for want of a better term, for a long time in terms of biodynamic and re regenerative growing, you've got to that point of such a skill and knowledge base that you're able to pass that on. And in fact, you're very enthusiastic and eager about training and educating others. So how do you go about getting that message across, getting the, the biodynamic and regenerative growing wisdom across to those people that you do educate and train? I think it's because my education in agriculture has kind of set me up uh, to be able to talk the language of many of the farmers that I come across. Uh, I can understand where they're standing. I understand the position they're in. And when you're in a position that you have great understanding of somebody, then you have a chance to be able to connect with them on a level where they may realize that there is a possibility for them to change. They don't feel judged. They don't feel uh, criticized. They're understood. Now, I was saying with my neighbors when I first started and I was burying cow horns and doing these strange things, that um, they were all a bit suspicious of what I was doing. They all treated me as I was a little bit off the scale. And it wasn't until I was having a conversation with one of my neighbours. He said, yeah, yeah, we've been watching you. But I didn't judge them for where they were at. I was always open to a conversation with them. And now I've got them coming asking questions. How can they do this? How can they do that? So for me, it's creating a bridge where they can slowly cross it at whatever speed they wish of letting go of the system that they're in. And most of them are stuck in it because they're in such debt. They're doing what they know. And the trouble is, is they're slowly going out backwards as well. So for me is to have the empathy and heartfelt feelings that they're not in a good place and to be able to help them with any way, no matter how big or small. So I have, I've traveled around, I traveled with Cheryl Kemp for quite a long time around Australia doing biodynamic workshops. And I felt that I did have some effect, but I think the real effect I've had is more just with people in a conversation. We do, we, we've done workshops up here, but it's when we do like, when we're doing our preparations, like the bearing of the cow horns. When we have a group of people, we make it open to people to come along for the day who want to experience what it's about. And having conversations, sitting around a bucket of cow poo with a few horns, you can drum up quite a conversation. So that way you start to make it real for them. If you start reading Steiner's work, it can be really off-putting because, first of all, there's something lost in translation. It's translated from German, and it was 100 years ago. He spoke a different way, and in the language that a lot of people don't understand it, and it turns people off straight away. So my job has been to make it totally usable to people today. And it's, it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated, but it's a bit odd in that we bury cow horns for starters, and the preparations we make, they're all made slightly strangely, and any vegan listeners will probably find this quite offensive in a way that we use animal parts that are stuffed with herbs and buried and all sorts of strange things like this. But when we've had these tested scientifically, they found that these preparations, not only do they contain the most amazing smorgasbord of biology, 
but they also contain specific energetic patterns as well that have an effect. Now, science hasn't yet discovered that part, but that will be discovered because science is moving, not as fast as maybe we would like it to, but it is moving in a forward direction. And in time, and Steiner actually himself said that this would become apparent in time how these preparations actually are working. So we now know that mycorrhizal fungi exist. Well, 100 years ago, they knew that the forest fed the paddock. And how did it do that? It did it through mycorrhizal fungi. Now we have the proof of that. In time, we'll have proof that these preparations work not only on a physical level, but also on other levels as well. That's exciting. I gather that there's a very important part of the, the process is the stirring practice, the, the creation of a vortex when you're stirring in these inoculant preparations into the water. Tell us a bit about that. Why is that so important in terms of that stirring aspect? Well, again, we're looking at uh, putting out energetic patterns, not so much energetic physical. If you're going to make a compost tea, where you brew them up for a specific time and you feed them and so forth, then you're actually brewing up microbes, increasing their numbers, and then putting them out so that you're inoculating with physical matter. When we do the stirring of the preparations, like the 500, what we're doing is we're imprinting the energetic pattern of the 500. This is why you don't, this is like homeopathy. We don't need to have vast quantities. We need only a small amount. And by stirring for an hour, what we're doing is this creating a vortex in one way, which is creating order, and then we, t we turn the other way, we create chaos, and then we create order in the other direction until we form a vortex, and, and we can go backwards and forwards with this order, chaos, order, chaos. Everything to evolve needs order and chaos in balance. You get somebody who lives in order, they very rarely do they move outside of order. Someone who lives in total chaos, they very rarely move out, out of chaos. When you bring those two into balance, that's when things evolve. So what we're doing is we're causing the water to evolve, to evolve to take on every molecule of water that becomes the carrier of the energetic pattern of whatever it is you put in there, in this case the 500. That's why we only need 35 grams per acre. When we do the stirring, we're imprinting the energetic pattern of the 500 on every molecule of water. When we go and spread that out, we only need one drop per square foot. Energetically, that just moves right out like a, I don't want to say like a, an explosive force, but it's like it moves. It's not stuck in the physical. It moves out. great example is you go and have a look at a biodynamic farm that's been in practice for some time. How far has that crept into their neighbours? You know, because it doesn't, it's not captive in one spot. It's not like you put it there, that's where it stays. It moves, it's growing, it's a living force. So that's what we're working with. We're working with forces, these living forces that enhance life, stimulate biology, create soil structure. So the stirring is one of the fundamental things. And it's, it's actually, people say you've got to stir for an hour. Gosh, that's a long time. Well, most of the people I know when they start stirring, they say, it's an hour. And they go, already? I said, yeah, it's meditative. Mm. And it's great to get a group of friends around. And we've got some great stirring circles up here in the north. Every month they all get together, those conversations, they all take it in turn, and they all then take a piece home, uh, you know, a bottle of 
stirred 500 for their garden. It's a social event. It's a community event. It's bringing everyone together, mm. this conduit, these preparations. Mm. You don't need to have um, very expensive equipment. You can start with a bucket. A bucket and you can make a broom out of a few branches with some leaves on it and you're away. You've started. And you can walk around, you can stir it, and then you can walk around the garden or wherever it is, putting out, because it's just, you don't have to hit every bit of ground. It's easy. It's not hard. But this bigger picture mm-hmm. aspect to biodynamics, staying with that, you know, the last few Q&As we've been talking about that, let's just stay with it for one more uh, question around, you know, the early origins of this very interesting set of philosophies, including agriculture, Steiner's work, but as it's molded into, as it's melded into, you know, 2023 and the 21st century needs of language and ideas and concepts that need to be refined. But nonetheless, that spiritual cosmic side uh, the cosmic elements, the bigger picture elements of biodynamics. Do you want to say anything more about how you've actually incorporated the spiritual cosmic aspect of biodynamics into your work in 2023 onto the farm there? When you mention the word spiritual, it can be a red flag to a lot of people uh, because they're immediately associated with religion. And when I say spiritual in the sense of in biodynamics, it's nothing to do with religion at all. It's about the essence of who you are. It's about when you, some would say, it's when you really find yourself in a, that happy space where you feel totally content, contented with your life. Then you're starting to resonate in the space of the spirit. And that, to me, is what it's about. It's us finding that space where we become our true selves, where we can raise our consciousness to the point where we actually become totally connected to everything. We're not separate anymore. We have a greater understanding. You know, the easy way for me is to liken this. If you've seen the film Avatar, mm. when... When the avatars, when they actually, with their ponytail, connect into the ground around Mother Iwa, the, the sacred tree, it's like biodynamics in a way is like that. It's where it reconnects us into everything. It gives us a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of our true identity. Now, I know that can sound really airy-fairy, but the fact is, is that when we start working from the right space, these preparations that were gifted to us by the universe, and just so that people understand, Rudolf Steiner didn't invent biodynamics. He, he brought it back into our awareness. He had the ability, he was a seer. So he was able to tap into what people call the Akashic Records, which is not in our dimension. And he was able to tap into the internet of the universe and download this information which he gave to these farmers at uh, in 1924 and he was just said i'm only giving you indications you need to take this you need to learn it and you need to develop it and evolve with it so that this can help heal the earth and so for us it's like yeah this is a way that we can not only help heal the earth physically where we can improve the soil structure the, the water holding capacity um, the plants that grow on it, the, the energies, harvesting the energies from all the planets, from the cosmos, from the constellations, 
um, being able to grow healthy plants and healthy animals so that we can have healthy human beings. This is all possible even in a backyard. This is not something that's exclusive to big farms. This is open to every single person, even a window box. You can treat biodynamically. You can start growing your lettuces in a window box biodynamically and you're on the fifth floor of an apartment block. This is open to everybody. It's not exclusive at all. And all it needs is it's just a certain amount of belief in yourself that you can create this. It's not that hard. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up in it. They find it very hard to understand because of the language. There's a language barrier. And my job has been to make it simple. And some people say to demystify it, take the woo-woo out or whatever you want to say in order to be able to get the message across it. It, it doesn't have to be that hard. You can make it as hard as you like, but it's not. And there's very simple principles. It's not, it's not exactly any way difficult. As a, a rejoinder to that, it has obvious benefits above and beyond the great food that it, it can actually grow, uh, the benefit to the customers who eat that. Um, it can have the, benefit, uh, the, the wildlife that's being conserved and supported through uh, more biodiverse ground cover, but also to the personal well-being of farmers, growers, and even the wider community. And don't we need that in the context of, you know, 21st century problems going down the other side? I mean, a well-being-focused agricultural process or any other philosophy that can increase community well-being, we need to be looking at that, considering that the exact opposite to that seems to be happening. I think it was... I think it was Aristotle or one of those Greek philosophers who said, let food be thy medicine. And to me, it's like both Gwen and I have, re you know, we've become uh, very particular about the food we put in our mouths. We love food. We love good food. And we love food that's been grown really well. And we've noticed a difference in ourselves since that we've started having that philosophy. And all our friends, all the people we're associated with have the same philosophy. We're all part of the same group where the understanding that if we eat really good food, we save having to go to the doctor. We save having to go to the psychiatrist. And we're saving the environment at the same time. How are we saving the environment? We're improving the night uh, carbon sequestration by increasing the carbon capture in our soil dramatically by having the diversity of not only plants but microorganisms and livestock and no we haven't used chemicals on this farm for over 30 years and even then we weren't using any of the what so-called hardcore ones but we're we're trying to do our best to get back to how nature's been doing it for the last two and a half, three thousand, three billion years rather, learning how to mimic it. And so we are delving into other things like centropics, permaculture, biological farming, anything. We'll open ourselves up to anything and even to KNF, Korean natural farming, mass humus in South America. We look at all of them to see what tools we can use, gain from there to put in our toolbox so that we then have more ability to be creative. 
and again, you know, the, the, the stories speak for themselves. You, you've seen the, the benefits, as you're describing there, at both personal level and a community level. Uh, the win-win-win, you know, across those three, the, the, the triple bottom line, social, community and economic, seem to be evident, you know, in the stories you're telling. And I think that's, to me, from what I've heard, you know, that would be an obvious reason why those people around you that perhaps at one stage were somewhat less convinced of the model they've seen the evidence in front of their eyes um and and as per the stories in say charlie massey's book and other uh, accounts of regenerative and biodynamic agriculture i've read the, the proof of the pudding is in the stories that growers tell about the actual benefits that are, that are visible on the landscape uh, as well as in their mouths or in their bodies etc so you know it's, it sells itself in a sense if you if you look at it from the point of view of the consumer and then the farmer. Consumers are becoming more aware. I think in some ways COVID-19, some of the benefits of that is that people became more aware of food because there was a lack of it and suddenly people's you know, attention was drawn to this. And so we have an amazing set of things on our, on our face and in our face that are very good at detecting our nose and our tongue are very good at detecting food that tastes good. And generally when you've got food that tastes really good, it's an indication that it's mineral dense, which is a good thing because it helps, you know, we need to have minerals to rebuild our parts of our body that are breaking down all the time. We have to constantly be resupplying them with minerals. But there's something more to it than that, and that's the life force energy. That's where... Um, where you see that in biodynamic food. And I'm talking good biodynamics because there are some practitioners out there who do as little as they possibly can to be classified as biodynamic. And I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about those people who are ethically uh, doing biodynamics for the right reasons. And it's not about making a fortune. It's about producing food of the highest quality for people to eat. And those sort of people are producing food that is worthy of eating it is actually medicine and those are the that's what we're really looking at is how can we get everybody on board with that ethic now it's really hard when you've got a bank manager who turns up every month says you know i need to be paid it's very hard to get people to jump out of the ship they're in to change channels to you saying come along how about trying a bit of this how about a bit of that so the best way is to demonstrate it is to demonstrate to people by you doing it, be the change you wish to see and all that. So that's what we've been doing here on the farm is when people come to the farm to have a workshop or a field day or a visit, they get to feel it. It's not just what they see, they actually feel the energy on the farm. And that to me is where people start to change the realisation. When we start getting people feeling then you can start getting people to realise that there's more to what's on their plate than just buying it in the supermarket. Nonetheless, even in the most progressive and successful model of doing something differently, as in this case, regenerative agriculture, biodynamic agriculture, uh, that really happens. Uh, progress really happens without some degree of setback or frustration experienced along the way. So in your case, just I suppose to put in that, you know, just that reality test at the end. Uh, what have been some of the challenges you've had to overcome uh, or are still working to overcome as you continue to use biodynamic methods on your land? 
Well, I'll start off by saying that a lot of people I know think I'm a bit mad because I actually, when things don't work so cool, uh, that I get excited. When everything does work, I'm bored, and then I become a troublemaker. So I actually enjoy it when things don't work because it challenges me to look beyond the comfort zone I've been sitting in. It challenges me to research, to delve in deeper. And I think that's one of the reasons why I ended up on this farm. In some greater picture, the multitude of different soils we've got in the paddocks we have, which are a constant challenge because you can't just adopt one method fits all. But that's given us such diversity, not only our soils, but everything we grow as well. The challenges that have really confronted me was, first of all, with the clay soils, having to learn to understand how clay soils work on the physical, studying Albrecht and uh, Carrie Reams, two prominent soil scientists from the 30s and from the 50s, uh, getting, getting an understanding of that as an agronomist point of view, but then taking that further and looking at it from a holistic point of view as well, getting a greater understanding how all those work together. Suddenly turning these soils that were not called Sunday soils because Saturday was too greasy and too wet, Sunday was just right, Monday was rock hard. Uh, turning those around to be really friable soils that are forgiving, in other words, meaning that if you go on them when they're wet, they don't turn into bricks, being able to actually produce more than the other soils that we have on the farm. When you start realizing that was created through a process of good organic management and biodynamics, then to me it's like, and you know, the thing is, it didn't cost a lot of money. I think that's where a lot of people don't realize is, you know, for instance, 500, the preparation that's made in the cow horn, the cow manure that's bred over winter, we use about 30 grams, 30, 35 grams per acre. And it's stirred in a specific, a specific way which we explain when people come along. But that would cost you probably anything from about 2 to $4. Now, that can have a dramatic effect. But where people fall down on that is it's not just thinking, oh, that's it, I fixed everything. No, you have to be very present. You have to have the right intention. But you also have to work in the physical as well. So if you need remineralizing and so forth. But once you start that ball rolling and you keep it, it doesn't take a lot to keep it rolling. And so that's where people, I think, struggle with the fact that it sounds too simple. But it is. It's like nature is not a complicated thing. That's an ego-based thought pattern when we have to make it really complicated because it makes us then superior. And it's not. Uh, one of the keys is long and thoughtful observation. It's observing. It's, you know, when I first started, John Priestley said to me, he said, the most important tool you need to get hold of is a pair of binoculars. And I was like, uh, yeah, why? And he said, think about it. And I was like, he said, what do binoculars do? And I said, oh, they take things that are far away and they bring it into your visibility close up. He said, exactly. He said, you need to learn how to see. You need to learn how to see what you cannot see. 
And when he said that, I started looking at everything in a very different way. I started looking at, and I became observant. Well, I was pretty observant anyway, but I became more observant. I, I noticed things all the time. You're, you're, on, you're on duty 24 hours a day, as it were, almost. You're actually constantly taking in information and observing, seeing things how they work. Um, to sit back and do nothing at all, we, we've got some people who call themselves organic. And you say to them, well, what do you do? Oh, we do nothing. And I go, well, that's probably farming by neglect more than anything else because they're still extracting things out of the farm. To farm wisely is, I think, would be a better way of putting it, to farm wisely, to see how your interaction with the process that are already taking place, to see how your interaction, whether it benefits it or is detrimental to it, the natural processes. So. Things like the carbon cycle, the nitrogen cycle, the hydrological cycle. Are you improving these by what you're doing or are you being detrimental? And only you only get that by observing what you've done and how it's affecting. And that does take time. So you, you mentioned about, we call it when the intuitive mind, which we call the heart, and the mechanical mind, which we call the head. And the problem is, is that we were very intuitive. We go back to our pagan ancestors. They were incredibly intuitive, but not mechanical. They weren't scientific. They didn't have an understanding of how physical things happen and so forth. Whereas now we've gone the other way. We've become very mechanically minded or materialistically minded. And we've lost our position in understanding of the subtleties that happen behind the stage that we're looking at. And it is, it's a shame that we don't have that balance between the two. We need to have the head and the heart working in balance. Biodynamics is all about balance. It's about restoring harmony. When something's out of balance, it's in disharmony. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring the balance back. And at the moment, in Australia, we've got a lot of disharmony in our atmosphere. This is why we've got you know, not, not many people getting rain because there's lack of organization in our atmosphere. It's out of balance as well. And we have to understand that the balance is not purely on a physical level, but it's also an emotional and spiritual level as well. I maintain a wise, observant vision, you know, uh, and I, I suppose that mm -hmm. sort of links nicely to, as we move through this excellent, fantastic interview, um, past, present and future, moving to the future, What's the vision there uh, for you, Adam? The question here being, you know, what does the future hold for you and your property? Uh, for instance, do you have any exciting new projects in the pipeline? How are you seeing the property developing over the next, let's say, short to medium term future, two to 10 years? And what do you think is the future of biodynamic growing more generally, perhaps in Australia? Any, any, any response to any of those questions that you might want to give? <laughs> Well, we're all laughing here because when you said future projects, we've got projects coming out of everywhere. Uh, it's a case of, and this is where Brandon's really good at, he's a project manager pulling this all together so that we can actually make it real. Um, our vision is here is to take the farm. My, my dad passed away earlier this year, and he had a very set vision of what he wanted to see. Now we've got the freedom to be able to move where we want to go. and. Both Gwen and I have had, since we were very, very young, the dream of creating what we call Old MacDonald's Farm, 
which is a classic biodynamic farm. It's a totally mixed farm. It's got the balance of everything from the animals to the to the um, poultry to the wildlife to the wetlands to people. You know, people. We forget this so often. We talk about everything else, but we forget people. It's about having people involved. We would love to have a small community of people who are creating this utopia that we all dream about, actually creating in the physical here to create it so that other people can see that this is a possibility. Be a satellite, you know, so that when other people come to this farm to buy produce or to interact or for a workshop or whatever, they get to feel and see. And that, that feeling part is really critical to me is when you go in a place and you get this feeling, and if it's a good feeling, you want to hang around there for a bit of while and suck some of this good feeling up. And it to me is like, that's why we get people coming here now and when they, it's like they don't want to leave. And that's to me what we need to create where we've got these spaces where you can go and regenerate yourself. You can recharge your batteries. You can eat good food. You can learn how to grow good food. You can interact with other people who are on a higher conscious level. And then go out and start doing it everywhere. You know, that would be great. That's the dream. That's the dream that we would love to see. We would love to see, you know, biodynamic. And biodynamics is a great tool for us to be able to start pulling this all together to create that. And I'm not saying it's the only tool. I think this is where people get caught up. We need a toolbox full of tools that we can utilize in every situation. All the other, all the other modalities have fantastic material to offer us in our creative processes. They all work together. They're all part of the same picture. The problem is, is you get people in the biodynamic world or the permaculture world or the syntropic world, and they're and they're myopic in their viewpoint in that, that this is the only thing. And I'm like, no, you're just part of the picture like everybody else. But if you come together as a community and share your knowledge and your understanding of how physical works, how emotional works, how spiritual works, then now we're starting to create. We're starting to create the Garden of Eden. We're starting to create paradise, heaven on earth, whatever you want to call it. This is so possible it's not expensive it's not hard and we start small and you you develop you learn and then you take that experience and you spread that far and wide that's our vision well adam that that vision that literally that future exciting inspirational vision i think it would lead nicely segues as they tend to say don't they into this next question you've already started answering this is a short take-home message for listeners, you know, perhaps a few sentences or so, which could help distill your ideas, reinforce what you've talked about today for the audience. Do you have such a take-home message? For me, the take-home message would be around, do you really care about yourself? Do you really care about your family? Do you really care about where you live? Do you really care about this planet? If you do, then there are ways that you can be a part of helping it through the times that we're in now. And it's not hard. It's not expensive. And it's really about you following your heart. It's really about you becoming a part of it. And you can join 
there are over Australia, there are local groups all over. And you can join in a local group and get the feel of what it's about, that sense of community. There's there's lots of local groups just getting involved in those, and it will open the door up to where you can go, whether it be a seed savers or if it's a gardening group, biodynamic groups. I mean, we have one up here in North Queensland called BDFNQ, Biodynamics Far North Queensland. They're all over Australia, you know. I know this because I'm connected to a lot of them. That this is a way that you can be involved. I think we can get bogged down in making it really difficult. It starts with the first step, and that's just going and talking to somebody who is involved in biodynamics and getting out in the garden. You know, getting your hands in the soil is a great way to get inspired. Grounds you completely, and if you something oh, i want to do better than this you know we we do workshops we do workshops here on on composting learning how to make good compost learning how about the soil how the soil works we do syntropic workshops we do biodynamic workshops where we teach about the basic principles and then even going further on because one of the tools that we use is the calendar which is connecting us into everything it's of the most amazing tool teaching us how we can utilize the energy is coming from the moon, from the constellations, from the sun, how it will work, the rhythms, and how we can learn how to use those rhythms to help us in our growing of food, when we can cultivate, when we can harvest, when we can prune, when we can um, put out our sprays, our, chemical, our biodynamic sprays. It's just, yeah, it's really, I think where people get caught up is, is that Biodynamics has had a sort of a name as being a bit, a lot of people thought it was very hippie-ish, you know, it was like hippies. It was given a bad rap, and it was because it was lack of understanding. But the understanding is now becoming more and more available to people with the younger people coming through who have a greater um, understanding than before. I, I believe that it's... Um, it's totally possible for everybody. Oh, well, once again, uh, Adam, fantastic, inspiring stuff. Thank you very much for that. And just one last opportunity for you at the end of this absolutely amazing interview. Uh, do you have any parting advice for listeners who might want to find out more about biodynamic methods generally? Um, existing growers who are thinking about going down the biodynamic route, where could or should they start? Well, before we go into that, first I'd like to acknowledge you for pulling this all together. Yeah, we're just doing what we love doing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of people get to hear about it. But you pulling this all together and creating this podcast series is fantastic for getting the word out there. As we acknowledge all the people who've tuned in that maybe they are looking for something different, maybe they want to do something that can be beneficial in helping to heal this earth. If they if they are keen, probably some of the best ways to get involved, uh, first of all, is to contact the National Association of Biodynamic Agriculture Australia in Bellinger. Talk to them. They'll be able to help you with a lot of information, uh, local groups in their area that they could join. Uh, but just go start having a look in your community about things like seed savers and gardening clubs and any of that. And I, I'm not and I'm talking to everybody here. I'm not talking just to people have got a backyard. I'm talking to farmers, anybody. 
when you're dealing with a piece of soil, whether a thousand acres, ten thousand acres, or a square meter, the same principles apply. And it's still a human being in the role of being a looking after the land. So, you know, the take-home message I like to give to people is it's not that hard. And you're never alone. There's always somebody who will be only more than happy to help you on your journey if you step into biodynamics. Because what I've learned with people in biodynamics, they love caring and sharing what they know. They love to be able to help others to grow. It's part of the deal. I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. I'm sure you'll given our audience some thought-provoking ideas which will help their next steps towards learning more about the subject of biodynamics or building an actual practice based on those fascinating and environmentally protective methods you've described. Your unique story today, along with those of other guests in this series, is clearly going to help raise awareness of some of those environmentally protective values of biodynamic growing practice in its ability to regenerate the biological health of soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity, and work in harmony with Mother Nature. And so, Adam, for the moment at least, it's sadly time to say goodbye. On behalf of both the podcast production and support organisations which made this podcast possible, that is Household Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia, and Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited, I want to thank you very much for our conversation today. Oh, I just want to thank you, Andrew, for uh, inviting me on this show, which has been inspirational to me as well as I hope it's inspirational to other people. As well. And thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode in the podcast series Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. The series was produced by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia, with the generous funding support of Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited. It has been a pleasure to help raise awareness of some of the environmentally protective values of biodynamic growing practice in its ability to regenerate the biological health of soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work in harmony with Mother Nature. Please consult the episode show notes for possible follow-up material on topics discussed in interview and any relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you have heard. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider promoting it across your networks and giving it a positive rating in your preferred podcast app. You can also give us feedback via the short five-minute online survey using the link also available in the show notes. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.